Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Words, a bite-sized podcast about the simple and strategic choices that all of us can make in order to become the best version of ourselves. My name is Dr. Michael Brown, and I am the host of Three Words, and I am so deeply honored to be here today with my friend Martha Chandran Dickerson. We have become friends over the last couple of years. Our families have become well acquainted, and I am so excited to engage in a conversation that is real and honest and even raw about these incredible times, and particularly about the fact that Black lives matter. So Martha, if you would please, to kind of kick off our conversation today, would you share with our listeners, with our viewers, our three words for today? Fight for justice. Fight for justice. Martha, as an educator, as a writer, as a thought leader, and a bridge builder, literally the moderator for Be the Bridge here in America, I am just ready to soak up your wisdom and your insights and your perspective on this incredible topic, Fight for Justice. In fact, it was several podcasts ago where I sat with my dear friend, Dr. Chet Hessen, and the three words at that time were, consider different perspectives. And I even told him, I said, I look forward to the day when we will follow up that three words podcast with three more words. That is fight for justice. At that time, I did not know what would happen and what would transpire within our country. I did not know that George Floyd would be brutally murdered. I did not know that we would find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic and even in the middle of this time of incredible racial inequality where our corporate consciousness is being awakened to horrible things within our society. But I'm so pleased that I finally get to do those three words with you, my friend. Because as a white man who is really seeking to learn what it means to be an ally and an advocate and an activist in this way, uh, I have so much to learn. And so I'm really pleased to be able to sit with you today and hear your perspective on this notion of fighting for justice. But let's actually look a little bit backward. Let's start with this notion, if I may of justice. What does justice mean to you? And and when you think of this notion of justice, what comes to mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, justice, you know, we when we think about justice, we usually think about it along partisan lines. Um, but really, justice is this universal issue. And as a person that has grown up all over the world, uh, justice for me personally um, means how we're all connected as humans. Hmm. Um, Because justice reminds us that um, we are all worthy, that we all have value, that we all have dignity. Um, Irrespective of our identity, you know, irrespective of our gender, irrespective of our um, ethnicity or our religious background, each and every one of us have value and justice is rooted in that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a person of color, especially, you know, it's like I want to continue to not only look at justice from my perspective, but also how am I also making sure that I am um, 
promoting justice for other oppressed groups, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, that's justice is, is, is so many different things, but really it comes down to the fact that we're all connected. You know, it brings to mind Martin Luther King's, um, words when he said a threat to justice anywhere, um, is a threat to justice everywhere. Um, this whole idea of connectedness that we're all connected in this human experience and that I feel like as a global citizen, a lot of the issues that we are um, confront or, you know, that exist in this world um, reside in this whole notion of us versus them mm. um, because we see others as the other, you know, yes. we don't see them like ourselves. But I think that when we start to see ourselves and the other mm. and others, then we are motivated. We are compelled to take action. Yeah. And, and we, there's so much common ground. Right. If we truly are universally connected, we are so similar. Mm -hmm. And yet our differences at times create distance. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad for me. Right. Um, and I think if there's ever a time uh, in, in the history of our world when we have felt what you just described, Martha, as this universal connection, mm -hmm. it's during a global pandemic. I mean, right. you, you referred to this notion of being a global citizen, which I love this idea that I am one of what, 8 billion people. Right. And it's like, I'm just one piece of this mosaic of this incredible puzzle. And yet we're all kind of experiencing the same crisis in regards to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, we're mm -hmm. all experiencing it in a different way at different levels, but there is not a nation. Mm -hmm. There is not an area of the world that is untouched by this pandemic. And I think we've all felt for the very first time in a very right. tangible way, we are all going through the same thing, which in many ways, as I think about this pandemic and how it relates to this issue of racial inequality in this moment in history within the United States of America, I think in many ways, the pandemic caused us to pause long enough and to shelter mm -hmm. for a long enough length of time that when what happened to George Floyd occurred, mm -hmm. we were all kind of, it had our fuller attention right. than we would have typically had, had we been running from thing to thing exactly. and living our lives. So in many ways, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that the pandemic was not just something happening to us. The pandemic was happening for us. Mm -hmm. And because of the pandemic, it actually slowed us down enough to be able to wrestle with some of these deeper issues within our culture and society that you described, the us versus them and, and, and systematic racism and all of these things that mm -hmm. we wouldn't have had the margin to actually wrestle with and dig right. into. And yet now we have. So I love how you talk about this idea of justice being not just something um, that is inherent to being American, right? Mm -mm. But it's actually rooted in our very creation and who we are as human beings made and created in the image of God. Yeah, um, it's it's rooted in our humanity, mm -hmm. that, in, that we're all the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God. Um, yeah. And um, it also reminds me, you know, now that you're talking about how um, – the pandemic forces to pause and then we had to consider how intertwined we are, you know, the stuff that's happening to other people, the stuff that's happening to black people is connected to every single one of us. Um, and I love Toni Morrison's words when she said that the function of freedom is not to just 
be ourselves free, but to free someone else. Hmm. Um, and I think that this time has really, you know, her prescient words makes so much sense during this time. And you're modeling that, Martha. You're living that out because you even said early on, and I know you well enough to see you doing this. You're not just thinking about how you can fight for justice for yourself, mm-hmm. but even in your own fight for justice for your own self and your own family and some of the things that you've encountered, even as a family of color, mm-hmm. you are also looking outward, not mm-hmm. just inward, not just self-interested, but also interested sacrificially in how those around you are being affected by all that is taking place. So I I am curious, have there been experiences, have there been events in your life Mm -hmm. for you or your loved ones that you experienced that actually have felt, to be honest, unjust? Yeah, well, there's been a litany of experiences Would you be willing that, to share a few of those that I with could us? recant? But I will definitely share um, a few examples. Thank you. Um, my oldest son, Amani, when he was about three or four years old, um, I remember I wasn't actually there. Greg was there, but he was in the playground, and there was a group of white children. And as a little three, four-year-old boy who was by himself, he wanted to play with other children, so he um, chased after uh, those white children, wanting to play with them, maybe played some tag. Um, but they, uh, ran away from him and repeatedly said, go away, brown boy, leave us alone, brown boy. Um, that was, that was one of the first experiences in terms of his, his experience, but both my boys have been called the pejoratives, you know, they've been called the N word Mm -hmm. and, uh, the playground, the park and the school hallways. Um, my husband, Greg, You know, when he was a college student here in Bowling Green and walking downtown, there was a group of white men that drove by in a pickup truck and hurled an egg at him and then, you know, screamed the N-word at him. Um, So that was like, that's a macroaggression. But microaggressions are, you know, he experienced in in, uh, sociology class, you know, he shared with me that his sociology professor made this statement about how, you know, football players... Typically, you do not see black football players playing in the quarterback position because that is the thinking position, kind of, you know, alluding to the um, inferiority of, you know, of black people in terms of their intelligence. Um, so those are some of um, his experiences. I mean, there's so many others. And, and for myself, you know, coming here as an international student and being an immigrant and coming here in, in 2001 which is the year that 9-11 happened. Wow. And so we were in the aftermath of a very anti-immigrant, you know, mm-hmm. s- sentiment that was, pre- um, xenophobia was prevalent during that time. And I definitely um, bore the brunt of that. You know, there was racial profiling and, um, you know, even at the airport, the TSA would li- look at my ID like several extra times. Oh. Um and, you know, other people just walked in through without any issues. Um, and, you know, just having to contend with um, being a brown Asian immigrant hmm. in recently post 9-11 America. Um, but even as a young child, just um, enduring racial violence as young as three, four years old in Europe. Um, and so when these things happen, like George Floyd, it's very triggering for of me personally. So these were not even situations only that were here in the United States, but you mentioned Europe. So yes. is even experiencing some of that racist behavior, that hostility, even overseas. Yes. Wow. 
in Belgium. Yeah. My goodness. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry to hear that. I, and obviously know your boys. And as we've talked about, our boys are kind of growing up together. And mm-hmm. I have a 12 year old son who is uh, biracial and, mm-hmm. and his uh, biological father is African-American. His uh, biological mother is white, but uh, obviously being a brown skinned, uh, very active, mm-hmm. boisterous, um, young boy, you know, we've talked and begun those conversations about being, what does it mean to be a black man in America? And I'm sure you're having the similar conversations with your sons and obviously Greg is an incredible model of those things, but you, I'm just curious, your journey is becoming an advocate and actually fighting for justice. We're talking a little Mm -hmm. bit about justice and you've described it in such grand and beautiful ways that we are interconnected universally as a global citizen. But now if we can connect the idea of fighting for justice to mm-hmm. justice, when you think about this notion of fighting, because obviously you are an author and a, a thought leader and an educator and you're, you're writing and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're really investing in helping us understand and wrap our heads and our hearts around these things. What does it look like for you to be in a noble fight for justice? Yeah, that's a really good question again. Um, well, before we fight, we need to first listen mm-hmm. and particularly for those who are in positions of power and who occupy the position of being in the center, mm-hmm. um, we must listen. And while we're listening, we should also learn, you know, whether it's listening to the stories, um, of those around us who are marginalized, their lived experiences, listening to those stories, but also learning, um, the history that's not been taught to us, you know, the one, yeah. the one, the history that hasn't been included in the textbooks. Um, and much it, of it has been left out. I'm learning much of it is, I mean, I'm learning that too, as an immigrant coming here, I was not, um, privy to a lot of American history. Um, but I'm finding that many Americans don't even know true no, American mean, history. Yeah. Um, and I think Greg was sharing that recently someone asked him, you know, how do we, um, how do we dismantle systemic racism? You know, how do we do that? And his answer was to ask another question. Greg's answer was to ask another question, which is we ask, how did we get here? And I found that profound because as you know, past is prologue. Mm -hmm. So until we as Americans are willing to look in the reflection, look in the racist reflection and dig deep and dig deep into those hidden histories, you know, the Mm -hmm. the histories that haven't been told. um, And there's multiple, not just one, multiple histories, then we're not going to be able to dismantle systemic racism. And so we have to listen, we have to learn. And then, then we're able, we're positioned to take action and to fight. And to fight. Yeah. And, you know, when we think of fighting, we think it's a violent verb, right? right. We think of it as a violent verb. But actually fighting um, in the context of justice is never, it's never, it's never a violent verb. It's, yeah. it's actually, um, you know, we think of it as violent, as polarizing, but it's peaceful. It can be peaceful, you know, and it can be galvanizing. Yes. Because you're coming together, all these different um forces all these different people coming together for this common cause. Um, you know, and it isn't just fighting isn't just performative allyship. And we've seen a lot of that, you know, where people 
say they're fighting because they post that black square on Instagram or they are, you know, hashtag, you know, hashtagging constantly all day. But really it's much more than just those things. It's um, purposeful. Mm -hmm. It's persistent. It's in for the long haul. When, when you are fighting, you are, you're, you have skin in the game, you know, and you're not going to quit until what's needed to be done is done. Um, So I think that we really need to um, reimagine what fighting looks like. Mm-hmm. And it, it also is different depending on who's fighting and how, because we all fight differently, yeah. right? Um, like yourself, you use your voice, you know, and I use my pen and we all can march. We can use our feet and yep. we can march. Um, we can protest and we can jog with for Ahmad Arbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's various ways in which we can come into this fight and it's it's not just one way yeah i love that and and for even me as a white man who has experienced tremendous white privilege i've been thinking deeply ever since these conversations began post george floyd and i thought some of it before george floyd Mm -hmm. i've not been completely distant from these conversations and yet they feel more real Right. To me now, and, and particularly as I've been developing uh, a list of individuals that are friends of mine who are brown and black and actually engaging on a regular basis with individuals and saying, tell me your story. I, I want to be an advocate, Martha. I want to be someone who is in this with you and is in this for my son and for your sons and for right. Greg, your husband. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about that. And, and, and he, we, we joked off camera, but I love alliteration. But one of those, <laughs> the five F's of advocacy, as I have conceptualized in my own mind, and, and maybe you can use this to even spring into some of the other thoughts that you would have, is one. the first one is fighting. Mm-hmm. I want to be involved in the fight. Mm-hmm. But I also want to develop friendships because right. real relationships matter. Face-to-face, mm-hmm. human interactions, developing not just friendliness, but friends right. with people of color, black and brown. And, and immigrants and those who've been raised and all kinds of people. It's just a beautiful diversity, but also focus. Mm-hmm. I want to stay focused and I want to actually lean into what you said and learn and listen mm-hmm. financially. I want to begin to invest financially in causes that matter. And so obviously fighting for me is about focus and friendship and finances, but also finally fortitude. I don't want to give up. I don't want this just to be a flare mm-hmm. that went up and then it fizzles out. I want to stay the course right. with you, alongside of you, with my brown and black brothers and sisters. But it revolves, it begins, and involves this notion of being involved with the fight. So obviously, as you're speaking, my guess is predominantly even today to uh, predominantly a white culture. Mm-hmm. What is your advice to us? What would you want us to know who are seeking to be encouraged and how to best partner with you in the fight of social justice causes? Yes. And like I alluded to before, you know, um, it can't just be this momentary kind Mm -hmm. of like it's trendy now to be, oh, Black Power, BLM, all of that. Yeah. You know, you have to be willing, like you said, the fortitude. And to that point you know you can actually choose to have fortitude but for many of us particularly black people you don't have a choice you have to be strong you know you don't have a choice to opt out and and to be weak because otherwise 
what yes. happens. You you cease to exist. And I can choose to opt out because it's not in front of me every single day. Yeah. I have to put myself there. Exactly. And for some of my white brothers and sisters, they've mm-hmm. said it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, how much more so mm-hmm. for our black and brown friends who they are so tired. They yeah. are so deeply fatigued by yeah. fighting this battle day in and day out. It's, it is exhausting. And oftentimes with people alongside people who are just rolling their eyes saying, it's not as bad as you say, or it's not as yeah. difficult as people paint. And, and the more I enter into people's stories and the more I hear even today for the first time, some of your story, it, it is really intense. It is exhausting. And I think for you to acknowledge that is really powerful and profound because then with that in mind, then when you do get weary and fatigued, mm-hmm. then you realize that for the rest of us, we don't have that luxury of opting out. Um, but you also extending yourself in the effort to educate yourself because a lot of times, like I would get phone calls or like, Oh, you know, can you send me this resource or what do you know? what do you think? Or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I am of the, of the disposition that I'm willing to do that. But for many people, especially black people and like black people, like my husband, you know, they're like, please go and, and, and find the resources yourself, educate yourself because it's enough as it is to have to be reminded of your blackness and of your, the fact that you're still in the struggle in 2020. Um, but then now you have to help white people and other people that are not black. We're temporarily compassionate. Exactly. And are, are momentarily engaged to be like, it's exhausting to have to be, it's exhausting going through trauma and PTSD and all of that. And then now you have to be in the educator. Um, so my, you're asking, you know, what advice could you give is, is really do the work yourself, do the work yourself, do the work and keep your eyes open, your ears open, your heart open. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think I, you talk about as, as white individuals, we can choose to opt out. I would say that it's hard to opt out though. When my life Mm-hmm. is entangled with yours. Mm. When my family is entangled with your family, when my relationships and my friendships with black, black and brown individuals are as significant and as deep mm-hmm. and as meaningful as they are with my white majority friends. And exactly. so I think one of the best things I can continue to do is stay relationally connected Mm -hmm. to pursue a depth of friendship that parallels a lot of my other white friendships. Because then, of course, I won't opt out. Because it's not a a concept Mm -hmm. to me. It's a community. It's not this this, um, this principle. It's about people. It's about real relationships. So Wow, we could talk forever, but I, yeah. I would just love to, to to give you the final word, Martha, as you think about this conversation of fighting for justice. And, and I, I look forward to having you on the podcast again to, to have some more of these conversations. But a final word for us or a final thought that you would just like to kind of leave as we really, I think even those who are listening to three words, are, are wanting to learn. They're wanting to grow. They're wanting to be the best version of themselves, but also not just for themselves, but for the world around them. What would you say to us? I would say that the time for justice is now. Mm. Not later, not tomorrow. It's now. Justice cannot wait. 
Wow, what a great place to end. Justice is now. We don't want to. We don't want to punt this down the field. Uh, we don't want to say, well, that's something we'll do after the pandemic, Mm-mm. or that's something we'll do in you know 2022 when things calm down a bit. No, justice is now. So I want you to hear me, Martha, and please share on behalf of Teresa and I and our children and our family to you and Greg and your boys that we are connected to you and we are bound to you and we are excited to be on this journey alongside of you to fight for justice. For life coaching, consulting services, or to hire a keynote speaker, please visit dmbcoaching.com.